You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety, and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, two magicians with the exact same voice. Two magicians coming to you from Shrewsbury. That's not the way we normally do it, is it? And our pair, no, but it's fine. We're coming to you from Shrewsbury, which... Shrewsbury! We've got gin and tonics. I haven't got a gin and tonic. She's got a pen. I've got a gin and tonic. She's got a pen in my hand. What you were given. I don't even need it. Why have I even got a pen? There's no need for this pen. I was given a gin as I came over the threshold. Oh, it's nice to be in Shrewsbury. Mm. Uh, Here we are in your former bedroom. Yeah. There's a cupboard full of magic behind us. We shared this room, actually. Full of taps. So it's actually... Yes, but I've got my own room upstairs now. You put two big knee boots and you moved upstairs to the big room. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned that Jean's going to shout upstairs at some point and ruin this she won't. introduction. She won't. She's uh, she's on the internet. She's doing her bit. She's doing her post-work internet. Fine. Okay. So it'll be fine. Hey, we've got a fun show coming up, but before then, we've got Tom Brace who's going to be joining us. <laughs> we've got a fun show after Tom Brace. Yeah, what does that mean? Since the interview not very good fun. No, Tom Brace is coming up and he is fun. But before then, we are in Shropshire for a very interesting reason. We're here to perform the last ever show at the Lord Hill Hotel. There's no point telling them. For the Shropshire Magic. It's sold out. There's literally no point telling them. It's a big show. You sound you sounded a bit arrogant here, you know. You're going, hey guys, hey listeners, before we get to an interview of something you might have some interest in, we're doing a show and it's and you can't come. I never said they couldn't come. I was They can't come, it's sold out. Yeah, I wasn't gonna say that bit. Uh, well, you were just going to tell them about the show, you, yeah. and then they would turn up. They won't come. No one's going to come. People might come. No. People, people I think people probably listen to us in Shropshire. Who's arrogant? They'll all be there. All the Shropshire listeners will be there. It's the last ever show at the Lord Hill Hotel. Kane, favourite mm-hmm. ever moment at the Lord Hill Hotel? I don't know, I liked them all, really. Uh, I mean, it was where I did my first ever show, so that was good. First ever gig. Probably winning the close-up competition. Oh, yeah. Um, and... When I won the comp- close-up competition, I'm sure he won't mind being mentioning this. Uh-huh. But I beat ex-podcast guy, mm-hmm. interviewer, guest, guest Steve Deller. Oh. And now that I look back on it, that was quite an inco- a accomplishment. A victory. It was really a victory for the underdog because he's gone on to win every Magic Award pretty much, hasn't he? He's the most awarded magician in the UK. Beat him in his own backyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, if um, you just remain more of a show pony, you could have... Does this mean it's time, do you think, to get back in the old Ed Cade solo magic competition? I have been actually writing a lot of solo material. Yeah? Yeah. Fism? Well, Apple. maybe. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go with this? I think, I think I could still, to this day, yeah. do a close-up act that would be like... IBM quality. Oh, oh, oh! Even though I've never been to an IBM convention. Yeah. Yeah. Will there be sinks? No. Well, yeah, no. That could have been a really good act. It was a good act. I've still got the sinks downstairs in there. They're in the cellar here. For the listener that doesn't know what we're referring to, which is all the listeners. All the listeners. Kane did an act with a sink, but he bought a lot of sinks to make sure he had the right sink, and. When he poured the water into the sink, it toppled over. And a magician who I won't name. Why not? Because I won't. He did a really sort of noise at it. Oh, right. You 
Yeah. I don't know who that magician is. John Polkerman said I should have put sand in there. Right, that's who I was referring to. Yeah. And I thought... Which is a good point. It is a good point, but I also thought he was revelling in the fact that you tried something new and different and it failed. Ah, do you? That's what I made from that noise. Maybe I read too much into it. If he'd gone home and just enjoyed the failure, he would have been revelling. But afterwards he came up and went... You should put some sand in the bottom of there. Quite a nice thing to do. If I did the act now, I would put sand in. I was 20. I didn't know. You didn't think about them things at the time. You knew. It didn't fall over at all in rehearsals. Nah. Rickety, rickety floor. I got a, I'm got. i on a rickety chair at the moment. You are. And, and this is relevant because coming up when Tom Brace joins us, you're going to hear that Tom Brace has got a creaky ceiling. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So that's a spoiler for the beginning. i got to tell you another spoiler, though. Towards the end of the interview, the second to like last you bit, might as well you can t- you can spoil. I'm not going to listen, so right. It's fine. Towards the end of the interview, the last thing we speak about is how he failed his magic circle exam. Oh, very interesting. So if you want to fail, who was the uh, interview? You'll have to listen right. to find out. <laughs> but the second to last, I've never known anyone about. that's failed a magic circle exam. Tom Brace and. What you're thinking now is, why is Tom Brace on the podcast when he's failed his magic circle exam? He's so we've officially on... not got a magician on the podcast. Well, he's... it's not a magician's podcast, is it? No, it's not. So it's, that's why. It's new. It's, <laughs> it's interviews people. We officially world. don't have a magician on today's podcast. Comedy, magic, circus and variety. He's going on a 30-day UK tour. Wow. Yeah. Self-funded? Yeah. Okay. 30-day, self-funded UK tour. What a guy. Well, to be honest, I suggested that we got Tom Brace on the podcast. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is he's having a bloody go, isn't he? And you want he's to... always out there. He's always, you know, he's at, he's at the festivals. He's self-funding a 30-day tour. He is someone that is he's having a real go at it, isn't he? He's having a stab. Yeah, he is. And I was very interested... How does someone like him do a successful 30-day tour when no one's bloody heard who he is? Well, how do you know it's going to be a success? He hasn't got on it yet. He's, he's, he's done some okay. th- some shows. Anyway, right. okay. And he puts on a classic cracking spread, but he also asked me a question right. towards the end of the Goodness. Interview, football, Camera flipped around. Yeah. Football came up. Okay. And he Who's asked, his team? He doesn't have a team. Yeah. But it came up, and he said to me, if you had to put together... An uh, eleven-a-side football team mm-hmm. made up of magicians. Who, I'm nodding. Who would they be? Right. And who and, are they? And I'll tell you what I said to him. I said, firstly, which you're going to hear in the interview, so you'll hear the reasons why. But you can probably imagine why. I said, Mia Yid. Why? Finger fantasies. He's good with his fingers. What? So he's getting goal. He's you're going to put someone whose fingers. Continuously fall off their hands in goal. Rip them off, throw them over there, stop the ball going in. That's this is like an anti-football team you're writing here. Mia Yid, number one. This just shows how how far your brain works. You think, oh, goalkeeper, fingers. Who do I know that does things with fingers? Mia Yid. I'll put him in goal. Yeah. But then you don't actually think that during his act, his fingers come off. Mm. He's got fingers that. He's got magic fingers, mate. For the. He's got magic. The definition fingers. of this podcast and is to not reveal his secrets. He's not a good guy to put in goal. Well, I I think I, if I, I wrote a team, it would be better than it would probably be better than yours. Alright. I'll put I'll put the test to you here then. 
buddy, right. pal. I don't want to tell you any more of my players when you sit there in your rickety chair criticising me from your world, not needing to do anything. I was having a debate with you. Tom Brace is going to come up. Okay. Do you know what's going to happen after Tom Brace? Yeah. Debate can continue, pal. I want your 11, of a, 11 aside. You've got just under an hour. Is that why I've got a penny by hand? No, <laughs> so I can write down my 11 aside? You've got just under an hour to come up with 11 magicians to make your football team. I'm All going right. to come up with mine. Quick. Elliot Bibby, you can do yours and tweet it. Do in. the intro quick because someone's knocked at the door and she's going to answer it in a minute. Coming up now on Talking Tricks. It's Tom Brace. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Joining us now on Talking Tricks from the creakiest house <laughs> in the world. Oh no. In Walthamstow, East London. It's Tom Brace. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. Good. We don't know how creaky the house is. No. We tried to start there's a little creak. There was a little, a tiny, I think it was blown out of proportion, a little <laughs> bit. And now I'm going to be known as the guy with the creaky house in Walthamstow. But in case there's any creaks, mm. you know, now... Now we've we flagged it. A tiny creak and people will be like, well, it's not, it's not, not as creaky true. as we were expecting. Or if someone crashes through the ceiling, yeah. then they'll never visit again. It's all okay. Now I was going to start this podcast by talking to you about being neighbours in our venue in the Warren in Brighton this year. Yes. Because you were in the big posh hat. Yes. And we were deflated. In, yeah. <laughs> we were in the little theatre box. Packed. Small. <laughs> but full. But full. Yeah. But I found out through this that we're real neighbours. Real life neighbours. What was it? 20, 20 minute walk? 20 minute walk. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. When you messaged me, the, the way it sort of played out was, where do you live? London. <gasps> I live in London. Whereabouts? Walthamstow. I live in Walthamstow. What's your postcode? Oh my God, we're neighbours. We're so close. That was nice. And you're even closer. I would say you're about a minute and a half from Tom Rawlings, who you won't know. No. But I do. (laughs) And And that's how it works. He lives nearby. What do you make of Walthamstow? It's the London Borough of Culture. It is the London Borough, and that's why we're here. That's famous where we moved here. It's lovely. I, I used to live in Seven Sisters, which was rubbish. Really boring, had a bad Tesco's, big Tesco's, but nothing in it. So now, Lidl, Asda, which has burnt down, very sadly, um, and Sainsbury's, really exciting. <laughs> All the supermarkets. Yeah, that's what I live for, really. There's a co-op near my house. No, uh, where's that? What, 20 minutes away? 20 minutes away, yeah. Co-op. I'm not trying to tease you down to the dodgy good. end of Walthamstow. That is nice, though. It's a petrol station and a co-op, yeah. Oh, double whammy. Yeah. Okay. See, I is co no co-op's not the same as Waitrose in food. No, it's not. No. I've gone mad there. No, we haven't got anything too premium, which is because I, I like a little treat. If I have a you know if I had yeah. a good gig, a Waitrose or an M and S. Yeah, that's I think how I'm going to measure success is when I can do a full weekly shop in M and S. I know I've made it. I'll get an M and S. That's my treat. Yeah, after a show. But imagine doing that M&S. every week. Like your full shot, even your bread and your milk. Yeah. M&S bread and milk. That's when you've made it. That's when you've made it, but not made it enough to get, like, I reckon proper posh people get something we don't even know about. Well, that's true. I mean, because there's a lot of chat about Waitrose, but I heard this week that Waitrose and Lidl, a lot of the food comes from the same factory, different packets. Yeah. So... It's a mugs game. You're paying for the packaging. You're paying for the packaging. You're paying for the, the name. Food retailers aside... Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> food retailers aside, 
in Walthamstow, mm-hmm. there's an amazing venue called The Murph, which we yes. had a little chat about. Yeah. Um, you've done some gigs down there, haven't you? I the have. performers will know The Murph. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's just been bought by Soho Theatre as well, so they're going to change it up. Um, but I do close up there on a Saturday night sometimes, um, which is always nice. Like, it's literally, I think it's a three-minute walk, so it's a lovely sort of roll out of bed at nine, get there for nine and do an hour. Yeah, it's lovely. I hope they don't hear this now and ask you to drop your price. <laughs> I know, I say to the guy, I'm like, sorry I'm late, and he goes, you live literally... And I was like, yes, I'm so, yeah, I've been on a gig. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really lovely venue. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a big old cinema. I'm sure most people know it, but like a big old cinema turned pub. Um, and they've got like a lovely back room that they have like shows and performances in there as well. So yeah, it's really nice. I would like to do a show there at some point, like a proper show, if I can. Yeah, me too. It'd be great. Maybe we'll do half and half. Yeah. Who knows? Coming up, I want to talk about your tour. You're going yep. on a, a whole tour of the UK. Very interesting to hear someone that it doesn't have a huge sort of TV profile is able mm. to go out on a tour because you're kind of like, oh, I better get TV gigs and then I can go on tour. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. But before then, I mentioned at the top of this that we were Warren neighbours mm. for Brighton Fringe. Brighton is it's the second largest arts festival in the UK, mm-hmm. the largest one in England. It's still one that doesn't have a lot of magic on. It's still yeah. relatively small. How did you find it down there? I, I loved it. We, I'd never done... I'd, I'd done Edinburgh before, uh, and we were like, oh, let's just do Brighton. Um, and we applied for Brighton, and then we were very lucky to be accepted into The Hat, which was their lovely big inflatable hat venue. Um, so we didn't know how it was going to go down, um, but I, the Warren was just absolutely... It was, a, it was such a lovely, amazing little venue. Um, and it had a real vibe, and, real, and you, you got that kind of Edinburgh vibe in that sort of concentrated area of Brighton for that. Uh, had a bit of a nightmare on the first day with the hat, because I, so I was out flyering, and I was sort of doing like work at the tables, doing some close-up, um, and I said, yes, I'm doing this, you know, in, in my show, it starts at uh, six o'clock in the hat, which is the big inflatable venue behind me, uh, and then the whole table started laughing, and I didn't, I, I didn't quite understand what was going on, and they said, I don't think your show's going to be happening, mate. And I turned round and the hat had deflated. And so it was literally like a skin over some truss. Uh, and all the staff, all the venue staff were running towards it. And I was like, and it literally about an hour before I was meant to start. Um, so that wasn't ideal. That was quite, it, they got it up and, and, you know, about sort of 30 minutes late. But you could never go into it. And also because I had no time to set all my props and things. So I had to literally just run in like with my, my case, you know, frantically assembling like a floating table like <laughs> and um yeah so that was an utter nightmare but it was good apart from that why did it collapse so the whole site lost power and obviously it's uh was inflated. it raining was it it wasn't apparently if it was raining the weight of it would have torn on like the the skin would have torn over the truss and then the whole thing would be cancelled and i'd lose loads of money I, mean, I don't want to swear so early, but fuck. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Um, I, I, I definitely said sort of something along similar lines. Uh, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, and it was just and it, it, to a point where because fringe scheduling as well was, I was thinking, is it going to get to a point where they have to carry on with the next show after? Yeah. and just cut my show, and obviously you know as you you know you've you've done these things. I'm sure most people listening have done fringes and things. The amount of money you spend on such a small chance of making any money back and I was like brilliant we've written off like a whole day out of our three day run so yeah that wasn't it was fine for you yours couldn't collapse yours was a structure with a steel roof <laughs> um, but it meant it got did it get a party move 
Oh yeah. Really well, actually, no. A, a complete lie. And I, Warren is great. I don't want to. You know, I don't, don't want to talk bad about them. But there was a slight hole in the top of the the Warren uh, of the hat. So one bit was just really cold. It's because where the wind would blow through. So you'd walk sort of past and get like a bit of a sort of a chill. It was quite nice. But yeah, that was the one. It was hot apart from this one sort of sort of spotlight of breeze. Do you know why that hole was there? Probably because it f- fell down. <laughs> I, I heard Kevin Quantum burnt it there. No. No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, like, you know, the things he does. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, uh, it, it, but it was great. It was a really nice three days. Um, and yeah, a bit different. I did have a slight, a slightly embarrassing moment when I was, I was working the tables and group of lads were like, oh mate, come over here, do some magic for us. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go, go do some magic. And they were really lovely. Um, and I was doing wiki test, um, and I was doing it for them, and for some reason, it didn't pair. But I was so like lost in them. It was quite late at night. It was about sort of ten o'clock, sort of towards the end, and I hadn't paired up on the phones. For those of you that obviously everyone that uses it, um, so I just didn't get a read on what this guy had searched for at all. I sort of tried to busk it, didn't work. And I was like, and I sort of tried to segue out. I tried to use the earworm, and just it went completely wrong. And then they all revealed that they were the Brighton Society of Magicians, and I was like, oh my god! And they were like, oh, we can't keep it any longer, mate. We're uh, we're all magicians. And and part of me was like relieved because it's like, oh, at least it's you know, at least it was just other magicians. But also, again, me being a complete unknown, I was like, the first interaction I've had with these people, I'm like this guy's shit. This guy doesn't know how to do anything. Were they coming to the show anyway? Then? They weren't. They then said, so "Then the worst bit was." I'm making myself sound terrible. Please come to my show. It's actually all right. Um, but I, they, I was doing uh, Rubicon um, with uh, shells and whatnot, uh, and my cube just got completely jammed, uh, and my shell wouldn't go over it, and I just, I physically couldn't get it to go in. So like, these these guys have just met me and seen me absolutely balls up wiki test and just sort of fiddle with some Rubik's Cube shells for a bit and I was like oh my god so that was that wasn't you know between that and the venue deflating lovely time really really good um, I, I, yeah I'll tell you on, on Rubicon um, you know the three bright boys boys that mm-hmm. did sperms right yes yeah. other shows yeah. they did like four shows yeah they had seen you do I think it's that. All they referred to it was as a Rubik's Cube trick. Yes. They'd seen it. And I don't know if this was in like a like a, a guest spot or whatever. Yes, yeah. But they'd seen it and they were throughout the whole festival <laughs> always talking about theories about how it was done. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? got to the point that they were peeking through to watch it during your show. Well, they should have come to that one. Because and that I don't think <laughs> I did. I saw so I did that. There, that's good. <laughs> I combined that with. Do you know Michael Murray's um, solution, where the uh, the spectator solves a cube behind the, their back, which I think is just the the best, uh, the, one of the best uh, tricks ever because it just it completely takes it off of you and puts it on a spectator. But I combined those two, and they. I think I actually did it to one of the guys, and again the other two were just completely. Yeah, they. Yeah, I love it. It's um, it's a great trick. We've kind of just stumbled upon something mm-hmm. um, during that, which is like flyering and flyering techniques. Yes. And someone that works one of the big four venues in Edinburgh, yep. um, the Warren in Brighton, um, 
Do you find that's the most effective form of flyering your shows going out, showing people tricks? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's I think you're, we're so lucky in this uh, industry that we can actually show some of what we do in our show, essentially. You know, it's like, like, you know, comedians, they can be funny when they're flyering, but it's hard to be like, oh, here's a, here's a joke. Um, but I just go out with two tricks that I know will absolutely... I, that, I, that I'm really confident with that I can just do... I can instantly reset and I just go table to table and I is I mean no shame I do an invisible deck to because it's you know it's so easy um so easy to repeat and I think it's like you know just blows uh layman away so I just do that um and a couple of other things and then people then know that you're not rubbish so they go okay oh and it's happening in an hour or you know in 10 minutes over there and you go, yeah and I think that's yeah I, I I think that's definitely the easiest way to do it um, and I've se- and from that, you know, I've seen sales jump up. Again, being an unknown, you know, no TV experience, nothing like that. I've sort of started the day on like two or three and ended up selling out a venue just from from doing from doing that that sort of stuff. Um, and I I sort of target. I, so my shows are, I always brand it as a, a family show. Um, and I think it's that's the best audience because you you sell tickets in fours rather than ones and twos. Like you know, for older you know cabaret sort of shows if you can get a family with two adults and two kids regardless of their age you've already doubled the amount that you're going to sell essentially so that's kind of that's my sort of theory on it yeah let's talk about then um doing a family show and yeah trying to get that differentiation between it not being a kid's show yeah and stuff like that because i know we always say our show is pg yeah and there's a few moments in it that are quite close to the edge but the main reason we branded it houses pg is because if you want to we do the free fringe in edinburgh mm-hmm. filling a room that is the majority of people and as you said yeah. you can fly for six people at yeah, a time. yeah also elderly people mm-hmm. are more likely i feel to come to a show that they know isn't going to be all effing blind yeah absolutely yeah. right um, but it is quite tough to kind of make sure that people know it's a it's going to be a family show yeah. not just a kid's show. So that's so I've always so I started doing kids parties as I'm sure a lot of us did, uh, and I loved it and it, and I still do a few now because it's you know it, it's the bread and butter of our, of our industry. Um, but I really wanted to put on a show that I so I fancied myself as a bit of a stand up when I was younger. So I, was like, I wanted to do something where I still feel like I can be really funny without being too you know over the top too silly. But also I wanted to put on a show that um, that both adults and children could go to that neither party were patronised. Uh, not to say that, you know, I, I think children's shows are brilliant, I think adult shows are brilliant, but I wanted to do something where actually there were tricks for adults and tricks for kids and tricks for everyone, and everyone was like, oh, that's that's cool, as opposed to, oh, that's a bit of a kid section, that's a bit of a... Um, and I thought of myself as a child, I was thinking, what well, I would want to see uh, Russian roulette. I would want to see, like, you know, people firing paintball guns and, you know, staples and things like that. So I was like, well, actually... So my show is eight plus, but I say anyone's welcome. But I'm at eight years old. Actually, I want to see a load of guys stapling each other. Like that's that's what you want, right? Um, so that's kind of why I decided that actually I wanted to go down the family route. Um, but yeah, but trying not to be too kiddie or too wacky or zany with with it was kind of the key for me as well. And um, do you? Do you get many complaints? Because obviously there's always going to be the parents that are a little bit more sensitive than yeah. others. Um, or have you kind of nailed it now that you, you walk that line? I, so I'm, I'm really horrible to children 
in the show for most of it. Um, so I do like I sort of send them out. I send it to Young to be in. I send them out. Um, and we had one crier this year in Edinburgh. I was like, oh, sorry, you're not old enough. Can you, you need to leave? They go to sit back down and I say, no, you need to leave. Uh, and I get the ashes to come and take them out of the venue. And this one girl just absolutely broke down. But her parents loved it. And I was like, oh, maybe that's maybe there's something there. So that's certainly with the new show that I'm writing. It's sort of looking at really playing. <laughs> Sounds like I sound like a horrible man. Uh, sort of yeah, playing with that kind of. I think it's great to have a dynamic where you have this sort of back and forth with a kid, and you can be mean, but ultimately they they need to come out the winners yeah. in, in that essentially. Um, but yeah, no complaints, no real complaints. I don't think it's all been all right. Fingers crossed. And there's still we've got some of the tour to do now, so that's when I'm expecting the the things that we're all in. Well, coming up before the tour, you're at the Pleasance in London yes. next week. Um, yeah. But you also do the Pleasance during Edinburgh. But mm-hmm. talk us through your journey to the Pleasance because it's slightly yes, um, yeah, it's um, different. It's what, <laughs> uh, so I was very so I used to I used to work for the Pleasance uh, in their marketing department. Uh, so I did a lot of flyering uh, and market sort of research for them and that was a couple of years ago I came to magic very very late so I was 22 when I started doing magic and what were you doing for your first 22 <laughs> right not living clearly it, yeah it was so I, like, I always sort of hear when people talk about magic about oh I had my first magic kit when I was 8 and I definitely had magic kits as a kid but it, it didn't it, it wasn't the thing that engrossed me um, and I'd always been into acting and I did a lot of performing um, and then went to university and studied drama and theatre studies and all that stuff then tried to be an actor, realised I was never going to make any money and went into marketing worked for the, and just fell into volunteering at the Pleasance during the festival. Then they brought me on and I worked there, met lots of lovely friends and it was great. Got to a point where I was just absolutely sick of um, sitting at a desk, nothing on them. I think I just wasn't suited desk work. And at Edinburgh, I was in the Pleasance Courtyard and there was a magician called Magic Jim. I don't know if you've ever met him. Lovely guy from Scotland who lives in Edinburgh. And he just worked the tables of the courtyard and he showed me a card trick and it blew my mind. And I started going, oh, maybe I could, maybe I could, I've got like performer experience. I wanted to be a performer. Maybe I could, maybe like I could have a look at that. So I got off the train down from Edinburgh, uh, September 1st, once the fringe had finished, uh, as an employee. And I went straight to International Magic. Never heard of it. And I just went, I'm going to go to this magic shop. Uh, bought an invisible deck, a coin unique, uh, and those colour-changing poker chips, you know, the, where they yeah. swap hands. Uh, and that was a couple of years ago, about three or four years ago, three years ago. Um, and then it just, be- like, it became an obsession to a point where, like, I, and I was working somewhere else at this point. I'd moved to uh, work for the Olivier Awards, again at a desk. But I was, like, spending my lunch breaks and sometimes, you know, at work. That's, like, researching magic. And I was doing a few gigs and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, like I really love doing this. And then I kept working at that, got a few more gigs, started doing kids shows, kids parties, doing some close up. And then just before the fringe was about to happen, um, the Pleasants rang me up and just said, Tom, we've had a dropout uh, in one of our small, like our tiny, tiny inflatable igloo, like a terrible room for magic, like really, really sweaty and horrible, no chairs. Do you think you could put a show together? And I had about two months, three months and I was like, oh, you got to just seize these opportunities, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, why not? Um, and that was my first show. And then, yeah, it, it went really well. We sold out. Uh, we had a great time. And then I was like, oh, so I quit my job. And then 
became a magician. Which sounds mental, doesn't it? And yeah, and I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm I'm totally aware of I'm actually really lucky to get that opportunity because I know some people work for years um, and I've still got so far to go, you know, but um, but to have that opportunity and they were just there, I was like, well, you've got to take it. So yeah, really, really lucky, really pleased. Was that, to get my timeline, was that the, not Edinburgh, just gone the one before? Yeah. 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 So what I want to know is kind of the differences between those two Edinburghs for you oh. having had a whole year to yeah. build on it, but before then very quickly. Yes. How did you find walking into the lion's den of international magic? Oh my God. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like walking into the past, isn't it? It's amazing. And there's such characters, the, the people that work in there. Barry, who's lovely. So like, it's like sort of like Michael Caine-esque sort of Eastender. Uh, then Mary, uh, yeah, Mary, Mario? It's an Italian. It's, I think it's Mario. It's an yeah. Italian name, isn't it? Marco. Marco? It's Marco. Marco. It's definitely Marco, not Mario. And then main man himself, Martin McMillan. And I just sort of walked in and I, I remember speaking to them and just saying, I, on YouTube, on the way down from the festival, was just YouTubing magic tricks. And I've seen this one with like some invisible cards. And they're like, yeah. And then they showed me that and it blew my mind. And then like a coin unique thing. Uh, and then the, the colour changing poker chips. And that was when I knew that I was never going to have any money again because I was, it was so addictive, you know, and I'd go in there every week and just buy things and buy books and buy DVDs and buy their little start kits that they do. But yeah, it is quite the experience. And, and now whenever people say, you know, how do I get into magic? I'll always push them to international because I think certainly as I've sort of developed my magic career, I've moved, I have shamefully moved on to more online retailers, uh, big prop dog fan. Um, and you know, it's great, but, nothing can rival that experience of going into a magic shop regardless of your age I was 20 22 and I felt like a kid um but whenever I meet kids at shows I'm say go you know if you want to learn go there they're fantastic was that your first magic shop or because you were up in Shropshire Shropshire did you have a magic shop up there um so my granddad was a magician right neither me or Ed yeah twin brother twin neither us got into magic till I was 15. Oh, okay. So it was always just what Grandad did and we weren't really interested. Yeah. But then when we got into it, we had this... Oh, yeah. ...secret cupboard that we were never allowed in in his house. Oh, wow. Um, and it's where all the magic tricks were. That's amazing. So we got to... Um, we had, yeah, free roam. And he's got so many books. Yeah, so wow. So not a magic shop, but that was my first experience. Of Private magic shop, really. All this magic in front of us. And then... At the Shropshire Magic Society. Right. People used to come and do dealer dems. Yep. But then I came down to London, probably with the sole purpose of going to Davenport and International. Yeah. But the last time I went into International, we needed some... I think we needed a hank of rope. And that was it. And we were on our way to Gatwick to get the plane to Greece to do a show. Yep. And we went in and... They were just a real form of wanting to chat and stuff. <laughs> Do you want a cup of tea? Yeah. Oh, and we were really? like, well, okay. And they were desperately trying to sell us yeah. more. And we were like, no. Don't need it, so, sorry. But we were there for so long. And we didn't, like, we'd left plenty of time. Yeah. But there was a point when I was we might miss our... We might miss our flight. Miss our flight for here. Barry and Martin and... It's like, sorry, why can't you do this show we paid you to fly away to Greece to do? Uh, we were in a magic shop. Yeah, Barry was having a chat. He wanted to show us his new trick. So they're funny. Yeah, um, they're lovely. Yeah, well, Edinburgh then. 
first year, what was kind of, I suppose, your, your take-homes, and then what lessons did you learn to kind of put into action the second year? Yeah, I mean, I think my, from what the way I've gone about my magic journey, it's all about learning on the, on the job, on the spot. First year, I didn't really have a show theme. I was like, right, I've got two months. These are tricks that I like doing. These are cool. This is just going to be an hour of look at this cool thing I can do. And I didn't, and it was great fun and I loved it. Um, but it was not the show that I'd want to put out now. I wouldn't want to talk with it. It was very much a, can you fill an hour on this igloo, please? Um, which is a mad sentence. Um, so yeah, so the, the, this year just gone. So I did my show, uh, Pleasants again. Um, and I had a theme. I was like, right, I know what the show theme is. I know what I want to talk about. It was all about um, uh, the idea of the impossible versus the improbable and like probability and stuff like that, which was great fun. Um, but yeah, it was the, the main take home from the first year for me was just having an idea and not and working from the idea as opposed to here are six or seven effects that I would like to do. Um, so that was great. Uh, looking at how to market the thing as well, how to go about selling it and then also what I wanted to get out of Edinburgh was sort of vital the second year because it's so much money um, and the first year we were just like it's a bit of a jolly great uh, and then you realise that you're going to spend £8,000 and you know, it has to have a purpose really so we sort of, so I work with um, my two friends Connor and Faye who aren't magical they just are like my producer and my technical manager essentially um, and we sort of sat down and said, what do we need to get out of this? And, you know, the, the main thing was that we wanted to create, you know, a, a profile and get some tour dates out of it. Um, and so that's what we did. And that's how we got here, I guess. Yeah. Nice. And what's it like then flyering in the Pleasance Courtyard? Because I, if one of the best shows I saw your first year yep. was Moon. Yes. Yeah. And I went to watch Moon because I walked into the Pleasance Courtyard and the guy went, can I tell you about my show? And we were like, is it your show? And he was like, yeah, yeah. I'm on the flyer. And we were like, you don't need to tell us anything more, we're going to come. Because it was at the time of day I wanted to see a show. Yeah. Um, and he told us all about it and we went and it was brilliant. But I imagine it's, it's few and far between. Can I tell you about my show? It's your show. Great, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that's a, I bet they thought they'd stumbled across the best person to fly her. I think it's lovely that, I, going back to what we were saying earlier, I don't sort of open with, can I tell you about a show? I say, can I show you a trick? You know, I'm a magician, can I show you a magic trick? And I do, before I even mention my show, I've done five, ten minutes worth of magic for these people. And then I go, so I'm doing this, by the way, in 20 minutes. Do you want to come along? And that's really useful. Um, Presence is like it's such a buzz, um, as I'm sure many of you you know have been. Um, it's got such a lovely vibe. Um, it's always busy. Um, and then my first year, my venue was actually in the courtyard, so it was great. So you could like there were just people there that just wanted a pint, and you go, come in. It's it's happening now. Um, so yeah, it's an amazing experience. And I think you're absolutely right. I think people that fly their own shows, no one's going to sell your show better than you. Again, because you've got eight grand looming over you going, oh my God, I need to make some money back. I'm not going to make any money, but I'm going to definitely break even. So no one's going to feel as passionate about your show as you. Um, so yeah, I think going out there, flowering yourself, believing in what you're doing, putting out your best sort of material that isn't in your show um, is, the, is like a surefire way to, to get people in. And also just cutting through that noise of flyers that don't care 
about, you know, they're paid 10 quid or they get a pass for free and they're like, well, yeah, it's some comedians doing something somewhere. Um, so I think if you're, if you're thinking of going up to the fringe and doing a show, you can spend money on flyers, but actually you need to just commit eight hours a day yourself. And it, it is like, it is gruelling. Like the uh, fringe just gone. I was, my show was at 20 past one in the afternoon. It was slightly earlier than I wanted it. It wasn't the time I wanted, sadly. Um, but I was getting up at 10 most of the time, uh, flyering up to the show, doing the show for an hour, packing down and then flyering again for another four or five hours sometimes. Um, and we've all done gigs where you've been doing like the same tricks, you know, or the same little routine for those for that amount of time. Uh, but to do that all month, you know, for five weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, without a day off, it eventually you do go a bit mad. I came back and I was like, I don't want to do any magic for a while. I don't want to book any gigs. <laughs> we've always been either like this year we were one, we do two shows. Yeah, we were, we were one forty-five as our earliest mm-hmm. show. Um, the years before we were one fifteen, and I always walked the mile to flyer, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, the start of the third week. I'm like, I don't want to fly. I don't want to do. But I always think it's better than the alternative of there being no one there. Oh God, yeah. That's what that's what you have to tell yourself. You have to go. You've been to a party till four in the morning the night before, and you're like, if I don't get up, nobody will be at the show. Because, again, because I don't have that profile, uh, so if I want people to be there, I need to work for it, basically. Um, yeah, it is hard, like, I, I know exactly the feeling of just going, I just, it's better than having no one. Yeah. Yeah. So is the aim going into second year at Edinburgh then always to be able to come out with a tour? Edinburgh or the Fringe has never been about money. Um, because it's impossible, essentially. I, I think the I think the model of it is slightly broken. If I'm totally honest, I love the fringe, but it's it's a broken model. So you need to go into it going, what are we getting out of it instead? And for me, again, also like you know, touring doesn't make a huge amount of money either. Like I've, I'd make much more money doing a couple of weddings or you know on that day instead. I love the live performance element, and nothing can beat the feeling of having some people for an hour completely in your hands so we were like yeah we want to book a tour um and so we invited like venues and we got we went down at like, the, the fringe list that they provide and we we're you know inviting programmers and things and we had a few come uh and then yeah they booked the show which was great so that was always the dream it was it was going there getting a tour and then just continuing to grow this sort of brand again because i feel like i i came to it slightly late i feel like i'm playing catch up just going right i need to I need people to find out that I'm this person, this is what I do, come see me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we went into it, and that was the aim. So I want all the information on the tour, yep. and uh, your your strategy going into that. But before then, let's talk about next week. Yes. Um, because you're at the Pleasance. <laughs> I'm at the Pleasance in, again. In London. Yes, the lesser known of the Pleasance-zes. Uh Yeah, yeah, we're doing, so um, it's we've had two or three dates already across the country, and then we're just doing a London one. Because uh, I'm based, well, we're based in London. Um, so yeah, doing Pleasance Islington at Caledonian Road on Tuesday the 3rd and Wednesday the 4th of December. It's at 7 o'clock. Uh, yeah, and it's basically an hour-long uh, fringe show, family-friendly. Um, yeah, so hopefully it will be a good one. We've had some really nice ones so far, um, but it's always nice to do one back in the home, the hometown. Uh, and sort of drag your friends along and people that you meet when you're doing like, your gigs and things in London. 
So yeah, it should be good. He says nervously. <laughs> <laughs> it should be good. And then um, after London, yeah, where because you you kind of all over the country. This yeah. is a tour that you know it's not every day for like no yeah. three months, but you're on tour until June. June. Yeah, so we've got thirty dates from now until June. Uh, all over, so we're going to Wales, um, mostly Wales and England. Uh, we we do enough of Scotland in <laughs> uh, in August. Uh, yeah, so we do th- we're doing thirty dates across the country, um, and hopefully, just sort of again pushing out. And and this the aim of this year is to just sell some tickets, and then hopefully people enjoy the show. And then the idea is that we then build a rapport with these theatres, and they say my aim in my head is to do a fringe show each year for a couple of years and have new material constantly going out because I think that's the only way people will remember you uh, and, and that's kind of that's the strategy for this tour especially and what is your your approach then when you when you're going to these towns mm-hmm. and as you said you, you're not able to go on the one show the night before no sadly not here he is, household name Tom, Tom Brace, Brace? Uh, and he's coming to he's coming to you tomorrow, Aylesbury. So, <laughs> so get on down. Um, you know what? What do you do about kind of making sure there are bums on seats? Yeah, it's it's it is scary because with Edinburgh, you're you're very much in control of your own fate, and then you go off to like we've got a date in Wales in February, and I'm like I won't be there until the day of the show. Um, so again, it's just about making sure that the venues are really well equipped with your marketing assets uh, I think it's really easy when you're a creator or a magician or whoever you know an act to be so caught up in creating the act and you just presume people will come I think we've all been guilty of it just going yeah yeah but people people will just come people will just come like my mates will come and before you know they've dropped out or they're busy um, so I think you've always got to keep your eye on that I set up I don't know how in detail we want to go to this, but I, I set up weekly sales reports for the venues. So I get them Monday morning and Monday's my open day because I don't do anything else. And I check how all of the venues are doing from that point. Um, I make sure that each venue has a really extensive marketing pack. So it has all my production shots, all my reviews, uh, video trailer, video interview. So they've just got stuff to push out because, and, and then the second part of that is just making sure they do that. Um, because again no one's going to care about your show as much as you so just making sure they you know if they haven't tweeted for a while just drop them a message and and trying to you know keep it friendly um but just making sure that they're constantly churning out new material um making sure it's not just the same trailer it's you know a couple of pictures or a couple of reviews or a different video um and i basically just do that for six months until we get there um and sometimes i think you, you you learn really quickly on these tours what works and what doesn't work and also what venues work and I think that it's no reflection on you as a performer if actually you just don't sell somewhere um, we've all been there even like you know big, big celebrity names they'll go somewhere and it, it just hasn't sold but then all you have to do is just go well we won't do that one again and, and, you, and you very quickly whittle it down to um, a list of venues that you know I've got a rapport with those guys I know it sells well I know we'll have a great night and that's kind of my process behind it. But a lot of it is just me in my pants on a Monday in my bedroom, just sort of like sending out emails. Um, but just but but staying really active with it, I think, is the main thing. Making sure that you're not relying on the venue to sell it because most of the time they won't. And they've got so many other shows. Of course, sell. exactly. And, and yours is the most important to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
And social-wise, then, do yes. you, are you are you pay do do you do paid ads? Do you find that you uh, kind of land better on certain platforms than others? Yeah. So I I do. I think all magicians. I think we all feel we should be doing more on our. I mean, we have such a a visual craft at our disposal and I'm like I should do some tricks on like Instagram or I should do like these videos but I just don't um and it's like you see people like absolutely smashing it like Magic Singh who you had on a while ago yeah we did yeah it would have been uh, just after Glastonbury right yes um so you see people like that who absolutely smash like the social stuff and you go oh. what he's doing isn't and he's brilliant but he's not doing anything uh, that we can't, you know, he's not doing anything pioneering. He's filming himself doing excellent content. And I look at that and I go, I should do more of that. But then you get caught up in gigging or writing a show. Um, but I do, yeah, I use sort of Instagram and Facebook. I don't really use Twitter as much. Um, I use it, but it's mostly just to retweet things. Like, you know, if people have reviewed after a show, I retweet that sort of stuff. I have done the sponsored stuff, but I've heard as well that actually that's a bit of a trap. For, this is a bit of a money trap from Facebook where essentially it, it, once they know that you're willing to pay for stuff, they don't push out. And this could, don't take my, you know, don't take my word for this, but I've heard once they know that you're willing to pay for advertising, they will reduce the amount your organic posts are being seen so that you start going, people aren't seeing my posts, I better boost it. Um, so I think that's something to be wary of I don't ever lead with sponsored posts until I have to until I'm like right actually we've only sold 50 tickets let's yeah. sell some more if I'm doing sponsored posts though uh, I don't know is this interesting for people yeah I think so <laughs> I'm interested okay good there's certain festivals that we've done sponsored yep posts for and other ones that we haven't yeah um what I like about it is and again we don't know how much of this is Zuckerberg lies. Bloody Zuckerberg. <laughs> but, you know, if you stick a video up and then you hit whatever, you can mm. see who's clicked on yeah. what, and you might only have that action button on a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. Post, so you, you can kind of see that. Mm -hmm. And that I at least, um, like, I at least like yeah. that, let's say I'm doing, you know, a show to a half a room. Yeah in a city I've never been to before and I'm like what more could I have done I'm like at least I spent that 16 pounds yeah like right <laughs> yeah it's I think it's more for us isn't it as performers just going people I've done it's, it's sort of you know my conscience is clean I've done as much as I can what I try to do is um, get the venue to do the sponsored post through them because they've just got a bigger reach in that in that town or that city uh, and they'll usually do it. You know, you say, "Can we put fifty quid on this post through you?" Um, and I and I and I don't mind doing that. I just sort of I I begrudgingly do it through my own socials because I'm just scared of it just being somewhere I'm just throwing money. And I'm doing that enough with Edinburgh and Brighton and everywhere else. So yeah, but I think worthwhile. I definitely think if if you have the time to do it, then yeah, doing it probably is the way forward. Sweet. Um, what what else do people need to know about the show? There, because um, we will I read out thirty dates for you? I will read out thirty dates. For you. No, kidding of this. No, um, <laughs> they're all on my website. They're all on your Just website. go to tombracemagic.com. <laughs> I I believe in it. I believe in it myself, honestly. Um, 
we, we will definitely, well, we'll put a link to that yeah. in the thing as well. So people can get to that and they can see where you're A healthy compromise. Close. <laughs> Um, but you know what? What? What more can people expect from the show that we haven't kind of alluded to during this chat? Yeah. So it's um, I like to think a comedy magic show for all ages. Um, I like to mix all different styles of magic. Um, so you know a little bit of uh, mentalism. I always like to put something dangerous in as well. So uh, this year I'm doing uh, staple gun roulette, which is always fun. But I get a kid up, so I get like the smallest kid possible. Um, so I think the youngest we've had is six and I, I, some magicians will think you know well, I know some won't do it and feel it's immoral but I get a six year old to come up and we, we I joke constantly throughout that I'm actually going to staple them uh, and then I get their parent up and basically the kid chooses which gun's going to be fired into my face into my arms into, into everything else um, and that's my favourite bit of the show just because they I, th- I, I think you've got to push sort of push boundaries sounds a bit wanky doesn't it um You've got all these sort of... I think kids want to see that stuff. Kids want to see people uh, falling around with staple guns and, and paintball guns, like I was saying earlier. So there's stuff like that. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's really light-hearted. It's not too serious. It's a comedy show. Um, we get up all different age groups, so adults up, kids up. Um, and yeah, and it's an hour, so, you know, you, you've got the rest of your night if you hate it. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the vibe of it. one thing I've always wanted to do with my magic is I've wanted it to feel like I'm your friend I'm your mate that does magic I don't I I really some people absolutely nail it but I've always been really wary of that kind of I'm better than you vibe that some magicians give off you know look how impressive I am look how cool I am and actually like what I want for people to take from my show is this could be a guy I've just met in the pub who does some magic has a bit of a laugh um and you know, do some things that are fairly impressive when they go right. Rubicon Gate, twenty nineteen. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of basically it. Nice. And um, um, I'm interested to hear then who were kind of some of your early inspirations to get you into performing, mm-hmm. because this isn't going to be the usual answers that people give. No, it wasn't yeah, I wasn't um, like Magic Jim. Magic Jim. <laughs> He's going to love this. He's going to absolutely. I'm going to send it to him. I'll absolutely love that. That you got into magic. So yeah, yeah. Who were some of those uh, inspirations? So I've always been a real... I've loved uh, like physical comedy uh, and a lot of the acting stuff that I did uh, before I became a magician was physical, fast, slapstick, that kind of stuff. Uh, loved John Cleese uh, and uh, 40 Towers and Monty Python growing up. That was very much where my sort of sense of humour came from uh, in terms of performing and acting. Uh, one of the first magicians I saw live was... Do you know Neil Henry? Neil Henry at the Fringe. Yeah. Um and that was great fun. He he now does sort of like, sort of like prank yeah, videos, doesn't he? Just he runs around the streets of Kingston doing like silly sort, things, sort of like it? farting and, yeah. and like sort of pulling fish out of things. But it does very well on. He does, doesn't Instagram. it? I so, I, I I do wonder with that sort of stuff how like what what that kind of generates for him is that yeah. like is that like pay, you know sponsored posts or paid posts and things because he doesn't do as much magic anymore and actually he was a really like fun great entertainer. Um, and I remember seeing his show at the Fringe, and it was when I wasn't that interested in magic, and it was a, it was a nice hour. So, but in terms of like magicians, obviously before even being interested in magic, loved old Desert Brown, Darren Brown himself. Thought he was great. And then as the years have gone by, and I've started enjoying magic and going to Blackpool and things like that, people like uh, David Stone and that kind of like, I think he's just an absolute comic genius with some of the stuff he creates and and the works he work he puts on. Who else do I like? 
It's always the thing, isn't it, when people ask you, <laughs> you like, you go, oh God, do I like anybody? Who do you hate? Who, oh, who do I hate? <laughs> that's a good question. Does anyone ever answer that? No, I've never asked anyone. Do you oh, want to say who you hate? No, that's, that's such a... I mean, there's no, what I love about our community... That already sounds douche, isn't it, our community? I love how supportive, we, you know, like we are really supportive. And like, I remember the first time I wanted to go to Blackpool, I posted on the page, like, oh, heading to Blackpool and going on my own. And like, I got like 50 messages being like, oh, if you need a, you know, a, a friend. <laughs> I'm looking back on it, actually, it's it completely what magicians are like. We're all lonely. But it was really supportive. So there's no one I, there's, no, there's no one I, I hate. There are some magicians that I think uh, I don't particularly like their style. <laughs> my answer to that question oh. is Mark Albrighton and it's great because most people don't know who Mark Albrighton I is I don't know who Mark Albrighton and there's no reason for anyone to hate him right okay Mark Albrighton sometimes plays on the right wing for Leicester City football club <laughs> and um, he's just this sort of you know is he a magician as well no <laughs> he's just this sort of middle kind of like he doesn't do anything to offend anyone He's a big fan of the podcast. Yeah, and it's like, there's no real reason to hate him, but I once kind of saw him play against my team. Right. Uh, and I was just like, I don't like you, you're playing too well. Snap, everyone was like, who do you hate? Who like, do you hate Mark him? Mark or Brighton? And they're like, why? And I'm like, look him up. Look him up, you'll, you'll, you'll work out why I hate <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, you'll see. It's, um, and you're one of those magicians, because I, I, like... I'm not sporty at all, as you can probably tell. But you kind of grown up well, liking. Well, tennis racket. Though, <laughs> no, put it put away. Um, but you, you, so you've grown up liking, I guess. I don't know why I'm interviewing you now. Uh, sports it's and nice. magic. Yeah, yeah. It, it, reverse it. Um, you, you're like sort of. You've got the, a dual lifestyle in a way, I guess. I'm trying to find eleven. I'm trying to find twenty-two magicians that like For a football. Magic to have football, a football game. game and. <laughs> So far, I think I've got four. Really? And it's like, you know, I know a lot of magicians. But yeah. But maybe that's just because I, I keep forgetting the ones that do like football. Well, we're neighbours now, so you can yeah. you can teach me. Yeah. That, you don't teach football, do you? You're born with it. I'm really bad at football. Oh, you're bad? Okay. Yeah. Well, I just enjoy watching I don't even enjoy watching it. I hate watching it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go and watch it. I can force to. But I get no enjoyment out of it. <laughs> oh, my God. Team rubbish. Who do you support? I don't know. Southampton. FC. FC. They're second <laughs> bottom of the league. So that's, that's not good, is it? It doesn't matter what league that is. That's bad. <laughs> who would, if you could have a dream football, I don't know why, again, I've flipped yeah. the interview. Who would your dream magic football lineup be? That is asking you to name the 11 people. Magicians. That, that you like, don't know how they play football, but you'd be like, they'd be good on a... Goodness. I'm going to have I'm, to answer I'm really now. sorry. I, I said the question, I went, that's a lot to ask. 11 people. I'm going to have to answer I'm really now. sorry. Right, I'm going to put Greg Freewin somewhere. Right. Greg Freewin? No. He does like a really good bird act. Okay. But there's a bit when he the bird lays an egg and he stamps on it. Yep. And kicks his foot up and another bird comes out of the egg. Good distraction for the football. So he's, he's obviously good with his feet. Right, yeah. There was, sorry, I was thinking he was doing that on the pitch. Yeah. During, that wouldn't work. It'd be messy. Do you know Mia Yeard? No. This is, is going to sound really awful. It's going to sound like I don't know anyone. Make me look really unprofessional. Well, you've only known magic for a few years. Yeah, that's true. I'm really. If you're one of these people, I'm really sorry. And you, will they checking they'll listen? Yeah, maybe. You're like, I'll yeah, they will. Some that will listen. Okay. So right, Greg Freeman up top. Yep. Mia Yeard in goal mm-hmm. because he does a thing called finger fantasies where he right. like pulls his fingers off. Yeah. I'm going to stick the amazing Jonathan in centre mid. Yeah, just because he'll. 
he'll just <laughs> yeah no, I can... you saw the documentary didn't you recently I did yeah. I haven't seen it yet oh, I'm very excited it's very good um, yeah good choice so those are my three yeah and what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go home yeah and I'm going to come up with the rest yeah I think that's I think that's fair because we really have Degenerated now into me naming football. Yeah, sorry, that football, was bad um, me. Based magicians. Is there anything else we should mention on you about you? Uh, no, I don't know. Is that it? I think probably. Has this been interesting enough? I think it's been a really good one. You sure? Yeah, and I'm not just saying that because you applied me with cheese and beer. <laughs> I was nervous. I was because uh, in the magic world, you, you barely. If you don't go, when you don't, if you don't belong to a society or something like that, it's really hard to meet other magicians. Yeah. And I feel like I've got a fairly normal life outside of I, I do my magic and I and yeah. I do that. But actually, like I'm just a normal. I say that's what that's what weirdos say when they're not normal, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just a normal guy who likes swimming and gardening. I don't have a garden. Um, are you are you a member of the magic circle? I'm not. So I'm not I, a member. Of the I magic so circle. I. And it's I think it's because. Um, I see enough of magicians anyway. Yeah. I don't need to go and do it on a Monday. I So I applied. Again, I don't know how much I'm shooting myself in the foot here. Did they? So I, I applied and went for the interview section. Completely my fault. In the interview section, I thought it was just a bit of a chat to, to, to suss out if you know what you're talking about. And I talk about the books I like. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm... Even though I'm, I'm new to it, and I feel like sometimes I have a bit of imposter syndrome, I feel like I over the last few years, I've really committed to, like, magic is my everything. And I went there just thinking it was going to be a chat before you have this exam in a couple of months' time. So I was like, quite blasé about it. And we had a nice chat, me and the, the guy, he was lovely. Um, and he went, okay, so what magic are you going to show me? And I was like, oh. Um, and I had, I had my backpack with me. Uh, and all I had in there was an invisible deck, right? <laughs> Isn't this so cringe? I had an invisible deck. I was like, I cannot do the invisible deck to this guy for... I didn't realise it was like part of the exam yet. I was like, well, I'll, I'll, you know, put together my 15 minute show. It's going to be in a couple of months. I'll really think about it. We'll do something really cool. Um, and I was like, do I confess? I don't have anything. Or do I just launch into it and just do the best invisible deck he's ever seen and then try and do something else? I'll go to my phone. I'll do a wiki test. So I was like, it doesn't make any sense. It looks like a buzz. Like, if you do it with enough confidence, he'll be like, well done. You, even though it was a very simple trick, you did it well. And I did it. And he just, he just was like, I can't, I can't put you forward on the basis of what you've just done. Fair, fair, do, fair enough. Did you do wiki test and invisible deck? Yeah, just, just weirdly sort of like combined the two. No, I just did one after the other because that's all I had. But I was like, I don't want to look underprepared. I just I hadn't read the email properly. Hold my hands up and was just like, ah, oh, I haven't read it properly. And I didn't bring anything. And all I've got is my phone and, and an invisible deck. Um, and I just felt really embarrassed. Because, you know, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I have to join the magic circle. Again, similar for you, it's like, because I have this life outside of it, I'm like, it's my job and I love doing it. And any time off I have when it's just me is dedicated to magic. But also, like, I've got mates that I go to the pub with or I go to festivals or I go on holiday with, you know. That sounds like a, my life is a lot bougier than it is. Um, so I don't need it, but, I was like, but it's something I want to do. It's like, a, I feel like I, I would have earned it. And then when I did that, and it was really embarrassing... I just sort of, he went come back in six months um, with some actual like sleight of hand stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna bring Rubicon. I think you should <laughs> go back and do it, but do it again. Do <laughs> just banish it. Into into a thumb tip, yeah. And uh, what else could you do? 
do that, just some Svengali, you know, sort of yeah, cards. Take a, yeah, take yeah. a Sven deck. And just do that. And do that. Yeah, and, I think you... The egg, the cup and ball, not the, like the little lid where you take the thing off. The bars, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So you don't even know the name. Okay, I'll do the egg one, mate. And he goes, what? God, you're such a charlatan. <laughs> it's good, the show's good, I promise, it's good. Um, yeah, that was really embarrassing. That uh, sounds embarrassing. It was really, yeah, and, and I paid 50 quid, and he still got my 50 quid. So you have to pay... You have to pay, so what you have to do is you have to pay like up front, and then it comes off your membership when you do get in. So I, 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 again, very awkwardly had to email the other week just going, what happens to that 50 quid? Just out of curiosity. And he's like, oh, well, you can either have it back now, but then we have to start the whole process again, or you can just keep it on file for when you come back and do something better than the Invisible Deck. And I was like, yeah, we'll just do that. Because, I was too, again, I was just too embarrassed to be like, I'll withdraw my application. So I didn't look like an absolute mental that I just walked up and said, I want to be in the Magic Circle. Pick a card. It's upside down, please. So you have to go back. Yeah, I have to go. I or can't. you lose 50 quid. Yeah, there's also a big part of me that kind of awfully goes, or oh, you could never join the Magic Circle and become the world's greatest Torah magician, and then this would be a great story, but that's not what I want to do. Cause... There's some very good magicians that aren't in there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that you're constantly asked, isn't it, at gigs? And, you know, are you in the Magic Circle? And I would love to be able to go, yes. And I think what, you know, what they do, and it would be great to have that as a resource. A resource. Um, but yeah, equally, not everyone is part of it. And I know that there's, you know, people that have not been part of it forever and are great magicians. I think I've got something to prove, though, now, because I just feel so mortified about how badly that interview went. <laughs> well, I'm going to put together my top 11. What football. a note to end on. My, my 11 <laughs> magicians football team. Yeah, good. And I'm going to, like, put that out. Yeah. Yeah, like, you'll hear that on the podcast. Good, like, okay, I'd like to... In a minute. Because oh, I'm like, going to go and record it. Yes, that's the real magic, it. isn't it? What I want people at home to do <laughs> is put together their idea yep. of the worst possible magic circle entrance exams. Oh, God. You can do one. Yep. And I'll go and do one. Just for the lols. Well, so what, people suggest it and then we do it we'll seriously. Do it. Yeah. And we'll go, go in together and be like, yeah, we're really into magic. We're really into it. You do your bad one and then I'll do a bad one. I could just do my old one, couldn't I? Just do that again. Imagine if I, I could came do back. Your old one. Yeah, that would be good. We're neighbours, and we do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Ed, you're out. Sorry, Ed. You're. It's the he, new. Um, he lives too far away. That's the yeah. He does live too far away now. He's in Brighton. And we're neighbours. Yeah. And look at this spread. We've got a good spread to get. Cheese, through. hummus. That's awesome. Thank you. Cool. Man. No, thank you for having me. Tom Brace of Talking Tricks for you there. And here we are, doing a little end bit. We don't normally do a little end bit. Kane's... Hello. That's the sound of the lid going back on my pen. Because I've written my team. Is it finished? It's finished. It's uh, no, actually, they're multiple different nationalities. <laughs> if you had a finished player, I would be pleased. Um, no, I don't think I do. So, look, I should round out my team here first. Because Kane has picked 11 players. He was very very critical of me a year and so you know i'm not going to be critical back but well, i'm mate, expecting a good i'm expecting a very goal, good goalkeeper i've got me a year in my goal now the other players that i mentioned to tom when we were chatting there was i wanted the amazing jonathan in midfield because i think he would sort people out 
And obviously I've got Greg Freewin in there because he trod on an egg once and turned it into a Hang on. dove. That's the sound of me crossing out Greg Freewin. I also had him in my team. Sorry, mate, I drafted him, I drafted him first. That's fine. I've got some... I got some backups. Right, so do, I got you want, a backup. do you want me to give you my full team or do you want to go player by player in case we've got any more doubles? No, go with your full team. Okay, so what I've done here is I've gone through, I've got some that are puns and then some that are, you know, quite logical. So, finishing out my attack with Greg Freewin because I've got three up top. What? So, so you've told us your goalkeeper? Yeah. And now you're telling us your strikers. Oh, you want me to go to the back? I don't know, that's how you would normally go for the All right, I'll go for the fine, I'll go for the back. That works actually better for me, because right. my last one's the best ones. So, I've got a three-man defence. Mm-hmm. I have. I've got a three-man defence. So, first on my team sheet is Uri Geller. I've got Uri Geller because Uri Geller is responsible for England progressing. He moved the ball. He moved the ball. In the Euro 96, he moved the ball before Gary McAllister could right. shoot. Okay. So, so you're hoping for a penalty shootout. You're hoping to take me to a draw here, are you? And then Yuri Geller's going to mentally move the ball with his mind. When you see my full 11, you will realise that I am playing out a ball draw. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, w- I, w- I want to go to penalties here. And I've got Yuri was, Geller. Was he in a floating ship in a... He, he was in like a blimp that went over the pitch. Hey, is he reading? No, he was in a, in a blip over the pitch. A really? blimp, yeah. And then he went over the pitch and he reckons he moved Gary McAllister's ball. The oh, ball did oh, move. Was it Gary McAllister? I don't know. Was it another? I don't another think anyone Scott? listening is going... No one he would be their penalty taker in 96. Yeah, surely. So. Cousin Andrew will let us know. So I've got Uri Geller for his mind control. Yeah, it's part of a, a three-man defence. Three-man defence? Yep. Then I've got Jonathan... Goodwin. For no other reason rather than that his name's Goodwin. Yeah, right. and we're going to have a good win. I, yeah. Yeah. A good, a good win on a... Yeah, go on, carry on. Yeah, so I've got him. And then I've also got Chris Dugdale. Now, can you tell me why I've got Chris Dugdale? I've got Chris Dugdale because it reminds me his name, and it always does, of Deepdale, which is Preston North End's ground. Right, very good. Where we went to once and lost, and watched Southampton lose 5-1. There you are, Tom Brace. If you didn't believe me when I told you Southampton were a bad team, we lost 5-1 to Preston. So that's my back three, Uri Geller, Chris Dugdale, Deepdale, and Jonathan Goodwin. Then my right winger, I've got Chris Cross. Come on, he's crossing those balls in. He's crossing them in, Chris Cross. And joining him in the middle is uh, Yabby Rafa Benitez. Those that don't know, Rafa Benitez is a uh, football manager and previous former footballer. So, Yavi Benitez, it's a similar name. Then, as we all also know, <laughs> I've got the amazing Jonathan in midfield. And finally, on my left wing... To be honest, that's a pretty weak midfield. I'm feeling pretty confident about that my, my boys are going to run well, circles around those guys. Wait till you hear who I've got on the left wing. Mm-hmm. Charlotte... Penalty Dragon. Charlotte Pendragon. Charlotte Pendragon's okay. on my left wing. Charlotte Pendragon. And up top, joining Greg Freewin, is Jonathan 
penalty dragon. Really? I'm playing out. Those two aren't going to work well together at all. <laughs> no, no <laughs> There's going to be all kinds of... That's going to split the dressing room having them two on the same team. But I've got them both for their penalties. Yeah. Their penalty taken. And finally, my final one. I, this is the one I'm most proud of. Juan Pablo, Chris Angel. Right. Those that don't know, Juan Pablo Angel was an Aston Villa player. Looks similar to Chris Angel as well. So there you go. That's my team. Me, Yid, Uri Geller, Chris Dardell, Jonathan Goodwin, Chris Cross, Yavi Benitez, Amazing Jonathan, Charlotte Pendragon, Jonathan Pendragon, Chris, Juan Pablo, Chris Angel, and Greg Freeman, Ed Kane. I would be, and that, I've called them Magician FC. So I don't know what you call it <laughs> yourself. AFC Magic or whatever. <laughs> I'll have your team name. But look, there's, it's in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's in my notes. So that's that. Magician FC. Yeah. And See, the problem with this is I've written a really good team, but I, I think everyone's going to have switched off now. Hold on. Train. Train. The problem with this. And I've called them Magician FC. So I don't know what you're going to call your team, but there they are. Magician FC. I don't think it's going to be AFC Magic. Yeah, I can see your team. United. All right. Um, I haven't actually come up with a name for my team, but I've been a a little bit more pragmatic. Have you? um, With how I've created my team. So maybe I'll call them Pragmagic FC. Oh, well, that's very good. And you've got puns in there already. I know. But the puns end here, guys. Puns stop. No more, like, we're going to get a bit more serious here. So you've kind of got, with my initial, when I had Greg Freewin because... I had him, but I've taken him out. He kicks balls. And Amazing Jonathan, because I think he could kick people. Mm. This is the kind of approach you've taken. Yeah, for the whole team. So it's, I'm playing quite a modern day 4-3-3 system, which is probably more of a... A four, one, two, three. Right. Okay. Uh, so, any modern day football, you've got to be able to pass out from the back. So you need a big guy, technically gifted, good with his feet, in the goal, which is why I've gone for Rick Thomas. Ex-dancer, very good with his feet. Yeah, Rick guy. Thomas in the goal. Uh, so then I got a flat. And he's quite good actually. If it, if it's a ball in the top corner, he can. He can just float up and get it. And yeah. And knock it over. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, there we go. So Rick Thomas in the sticks. Yeah. I don't know why I bothered even picking a defence because we've Rick Thomas, so I don't need one. He's floating all over the place. Uh, but I got a flat four. Okay. And at right You're back. You need that with my free coming at you. Well, yeah, I suppose I probably am. Um, right back. For the reason that. I've never met him. Don't think I've seen him perform live. I have seen him perform live. Very good. I've always been a fan of him. Quite a classy guy. Um, but I've put him at right back for the sole reason that I know he spends a lot of time with footballers. So I've got Nick Einhorn at right back. Oh, goodness. Who is, um, is famous. <laughs> famous for being Tottenham Hotspur's yeah. uh Magician for years and years and years. He must have picked something up. Yeah. At White Hart Lane. Yeah. New Hart Lane or whatever it's called. Exactly. He's he's going to know how to play at right back for sure. Oh, I think he ain't getting... Charlotte Penn, <laughs> Penalty <laughs> Dragon is not getting past Idol. Idol's not going to trip her. He's, he can see her coming all day. You know, he's not going to be leaving a leg out for her when she's trying to win penalties. Ah, this isn't good. The, the odds have gone <laughs> from here. So, yeah, Rick Thomas, Nick Einhorn, and then... 
I've gone for a classic centre-half pairing of a big guy that is a bit crazy. He's going to put his... He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's going to put everything on his on the line. He's going to head every ball that comes into that box. So I've got Tommy Cooper there playing centre-half. But you need to have a level-headed, good organiser, guy with a little bit of, a lot of charisma, a lot of class about him, a nice calm head to play alongside him. So I, um, I've i got Channing Pollock in centre-half centre as well. Class. Those are two classy centre-halves there. Tommy Cooper and Channing Pollock. You, you've got everything you need there. They could, if you put those into the England winning 1966 side, I think that'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Take Bobby Moore out and whoever else. Greg Wilson? No. God, I should have had Greg Wilson. Why? Is Greg Wilson a footballer? Is he in the 66 team? There was a Wilson. I don't think he was called Greg, was he? I'll Google it quickly. Okay. Um, but let's hear your left back. Not that I need to hear it, because I'm sure it's wonderful. Well, left back, uh, I've gone for, you know, a little guy, pretty quick. Um, I wanted to get a foreign influence in there at this point, someone a little bit exotic. What's the RDless? No, but, you know, you're kind of onto the thing. Someone I know that is good with balls. Yeah. So i got Jan Frisk at left back. I mean, it sounds good, but to be honest, Frisch... And Cooper in the same dressing room. <laughs> You'd be lucky you if they make it. Think that's gonna be all over the place. Yeah, be off there. Crystal right? keep turning the lights on. <laughs> <That'll be laughs> yeah. Absolutely hammered the pair of them. Um, so that's my fl- flat four, and then I'm playing a proper CDM, central defensive midfielder. Yeah. Just sitting in the front of them. That'll allow Einhorn and Frist to go forward if they need to, and then he can almost drop back into a free and play alongside uh, Cooper and Pollock. Yeah. But I've put someone, again, that is going to not take any shit. He's going to knock bowels out of anyone if, if they need to be. Everyone's going to be a little bit scared. So I've got Hans Moretti mm. playing there in central defensive midfield. Mm. And then... Good mallet. Yeah. No, Hans Moretti's bald, isn't he? Yeah. I thought of the other. Yeah. Who? Who's the Malik guy? Franz Harari. Have you got him in your team? No, but I've got someone similar. Yeah. Um, you see, I was thinking Juan Pablo, Chris Angel, will probably be able to nutmeg Franz Harari, but now he's coming up against... Yeah, I'm worried. So then in, in midfield, uh-huh. I've got a couple of guys. I've got John... Dorenbez, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to have to claim ignorance here. Who is he? Well, who he? He is a. Been a little bit sneaky here. He's an American. I think he got to the final of America's Got Talent. Right. He got very far anyway, but he used to be a professional oh. American footballer. Goodness sake. Soccer player. Ameri- no, American football. But he played as a long snapper, <laughs> which I'm not 100% sure what a long snapper is. I think I had one of those at B at 1 last weekend. They don't have snapper at B at 1. Um, but I'm basically hoping that he's just going to be able to pick the ball up, you know, from Moretti, from Pollock, who's comfortable at passing it out from the back. You know, if you get the ball in defence, guys... Durombez is always there, he's picking up the ball and then he's looking to pew, 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 spread it out wide, ping it forward. 
So he's going to be my real sort of engine engine room in in the middle of the park. But then I'm putting a real hard worker alongside him, someone that I know is going to get all around the all around the place. Going to work all over the pitch. Doesn't mind, matter what job he does. Um, probably the most impressive person I've ever seen live and worked with. So I've st- stuck Etienne Pradier in there alongside him in midfield. Yeah, I thought about Etienne to be honest when I was had taken a more pragmatic approach, but uh, yeah, well, went out the window. Now you've 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 got him. And then I got three man, three up front. I got a central like striker. And then I got two guys working off him, but I'm going to give you a clue and see if you can guess who my striker is. Go on. All right, you need to lean forward a little bit so that you're near to the to the sound thing because it's going to be a sound. Okay. Right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the sound. Yeah. And you have to try and guess who the magician is. Okay. But you need to close your eyes so that you can't see. All right. Get ready. No, like. Are you going to touch me? No. <laughs> so that was obviously just a slap in the face um, for, 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 for jokes. Yeah. But now actually shut your eyes and I'll actually make uh, the noise of the... So this is... Uh, well done for not swearing, though, yeah. when I slapped you in the face. Well, I have to pull <laughs> the, the listener would think. So, hey, it must be great doing a the, show with your brother. <laughs> Funny thing is that you've ch- I could slap you in the face again now, but I won't. Here is the actual sound of my striker. No. Don't know. Do you want yeah. me to do it again? Uh, no, no, <laughs> Close your eyes. No. Is there more sounds or is this the only sound? This is the only sound. Right. Right, now I didn't look. But I think that's an appearing cane. That's a fantasia. No, it's not. It's. A... I'll show it to you. Look. It's an appearing candle. It's a fantasia appearing candle. Mm. So my striker is Lance Burton. Lance Burton. Mainly because I like him. Yeah. So Lance Burton's up front, and then I've got two fast players working off him. So I. Because he's notoriously slow. Well, yeah, but like that's kind of how strike forces work at the moment. You have a good technical. Hard-working guy down the middle. You know he's going to put the ball... You can trust him. You can rely on him. He'll put the ball in the back of the net when he gets a chance. But we've got to have some power and pace. Clint Dempsey of your team. Either side of him. More of a Danny Ings, really. So I've got Hans Klopp. Because he's quick. And for the same reason, Ricky Jay. That's a good team. Alongside him at the front. That's a good team. And you didn't mention one. But I presumed you were going to ask me who would manage this team. Right. So I've I'm got... just sending right out. Just, <laughs> just go. Go, guys. Just go and um, yeah, run around. Win a penalty. So I've got Darren Brown as my manager. Right. Well, I would personally have, as a manager off the top of my head, pardon me, if I was being pragmatic like you... Yeah, but you weren't, so... I would have diverted... Uh, He's a professor. Is he? But, because I'm more about the lols here, I'll go for uh, Doc Eason, because I think he'd look good in the hat. You know, the Americans, when they have the the visor hats. You know Mr Burns in The Simpsons when they have the baseball team? Yeah, but we're playing actual football here. Yeah, but you know the the outfit that Mr Burns wears? Yeah. Or Doc Eason in that? Yeah. 
um, well, on the touchline. I'm, I'm sure Darren Bar looks cute in the tracksuit. <laughs> so look, there it is. Those are our one, two, elevens. Um, we, we'll put them up, shall we? We'll put them up. We'll put them up. Um, I'll do a, a graphic. Do a graphic. Do a messaging. Um, who do you think will win out of those two teams? Yeah. Will Abel's underdogs be able to take my uh, my like team I'm, to a penalty shootout? I feel like I'm a late '90s Wimbledon, not even Wimbledon when they were like in the mid '90s and cool, like not relegation not Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. Like it, I'm definitely the crazy gang, and it it was um, Ray Wilson. Okay. Was the left back in the England 1966 yeah. when he Whose son went on to be a. Or his nephew or someone was in the rugby team, didn't they? My goodness. What a, what a rabbit hole we're yeah, going down the, now. The rugby, anyway. If you haven't switched off, switch off now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cain and Abel. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast.